Hello and welcome to episode three of Santander's Mental Wellbeing Podcast. And for this episode, we are delving into such an important topic, so I cannot wait to share this episode with you listeners. This week is Maternal Mental Health Awareness Week. So we wanted to do a very special episode to shine a real spotlight on the topic and understand how it has affected Santander employees. I have two phenomenal people on the podcast today. Louise Shield and Rob Knott are two senior members of the Santander UK team, but have incredible stories to tell. Today, Louise is going to give incredible insight into the world of surrogacy and in particular surrogacy during the pandemic and the challenges that were presented to her on her journey, which and I don't think she will, she'll mind me saying this, but her journey to motherhood is, is one which isn't your typical route, which is why I'm so fascinated and excited to share this episode with you guys today. Rob Knott's wife suffered with postnatal depression and it affected him and his wife hugely for a very, very long time. We wanted to be incredibly inclusive for this episode, actually, and explore both sides of the coin when it comes to maternal mental health. Understanding the effect it can have on your partner, carer, husband, wife, etc. is so important and it's, it's often overlooked. So that is why we wanted to cover both sides of the coin here. We wanted to explore motherhood, we wanted to explore fatherhood, but also the challenges that both sides face. So, without further ado, here is this week's Santander Mental Wellbeing Podcast. Louise, Rob, thank you for uh, thank you for joining me. How are you both? Good, thank you. Thank you for having us. Very well, thank you. Um, this is a uh, this is going to be a fascinating episode. Um, I'm not a father, nor am I a mother, um, but as it's such a topical issue that we're about to head into with Maternal Mental Health Awareness Week, and um, I am delighted that we've uh, we've got a a mother and a father from that perspective um, on the on the show today. So, um, Louise, would you give a um, an introduction into yourself? So, yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm married. I live in London. I've got a beautiful 16-month-old daughter and I work at Santander. I run their communications department. Mm-hmm. Very nice. And um, Rob, if you could give yourself uh, a, an introduction, that would be amazing too. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm Rob. I work in Santander's mortgage division. I'm a process and change manager there. Uh, I have one daughter. She's now, she's now 23. Um, um, but we um, had some difficulties early on in in um, uh, in, in her life um, with my wife's postnatal depression. So this is just something that I'm delighted to get an opportunity to to speak about this morning because it's a an issue very close to my heart. Well, I'm very very excited. So look, let's kick off with Louise's story. Um, you have a remarkable story. Where did it all start? So it started probably about 10 years ago when we decided we wanted to start a family and 
and you're watching everybody else around you have a family. It all seems so, so easy. And then we came to the point where we realized it just wasn't happening for us. So we needed to go and get some help. And then you, you start on this journey and it's really like a revelatory journey of what's happening. Is it mm. me? Is it my husband? You know, what are the issues? Um, and we were lucky to have lots of amazing medical specialists around us that helped us. And, and we got diagnosed in the end with, um, it was un, un, undefined infertility, which who knows still what that means. But we had gone through IVF. We had gone through various different processes to try and have a family, which we so desperately wanted. And that is for anyone that's gone through that an absolute roller coaster of emotions of the the absolute highs of what's likely to be possible and and then what, the lows. What was it of, actually like? It's it's just a it's a real. It's, in one respect, it's an amazing process because it's this mm. you know amazing scientific process that most of it goes on normally within your body and and people don't see it, but you're there witnessing it in front of you so how many people have seen you know their own eggs how many people have seen an embryo how many how many people have gone through that but it's it's hard as well because it's lots and lots of different injections and hormones and lots of doctor's appointments and poking and prodding and lots of questions and some of them are incredibly personal for both my husband and, and me but also there's a lot of stress and emotion that's wrapped up in it because every time you you start something you think this is going to be the time for us it has to be the time for us it's it has to be something that's going to work and at every point in time we found out another reason why it wouldn't work um, and some of that you're having to absorb at the same time because you're finding out that you have some genetic issues that you didn't realize you had some other issues that you didn't know you had I had quite a lot of surgery that I had to have um, and then amongst all of that, you know, you're dealing with failed IVF cycles, but also I had an ectopic pregnancy. I had a number of miscarriages and you, you know, there are points where you think it has to, it has to work at some point in time. We never, ever gave up faith that it would work, but there were moments when you just thought, why us or you know, other people can just do this so mm. quickly, so easily. Mm. Why can't it work for us? Or so even by accident. All... <laughs> exactly. There's, and, there's, and you're so thrilled for everyone else that gets mm. pregnant. And uh, there were so many of our friends around us that got pregnant. And you, you didn't want to have any jealousy for them at all because you wanted to be so thrilled. But at the same time, it was just this longing for something and this absolute desire to have something yeah. that just wasn't working or happening mm. i was discussing with um with a, a friend actually who has also lost a baby recently uh, literally last sunday and we were talking about the role of social media on have it on the impact it can have when you're going through that process because obviously you have targeted ads um it, oh, it's that's... it's a constant reminder that you should be doing something because of your age, of your sex, or whatever that might be, but it's in your face. 
Uh, what no, impact that, did that, that have on you? That was awful. Oh, that was terrible. Because you, because you know, you'd start googling things stupidly. Mm. So that we had a number of like positive pregnancy tests. So then you start getting excited and thinking, oh, what will six months look like? What will? And then, as you say, you're then bombarded with some of these things as a constant reminder of, oh, you know, now should particularly if you use as well. There's lots of apps and tools that mm. you can use. So that would then be reminding you, oh, by now you'd be six months pregnant, and mm. you know, just thinking. But I'm not six months pregnant because it, it hasn't worked. Yeah. So there were quite a lot of those things that, yeah, just kept bringing you back to the reality of, of what was happening. But I have to say, by the second or third time, you sort of disengage with a lot of this. And you, really? yeah, you know, yeah, because I think you become such a strong, close-knit unit yourself and with a few mm. friends that are going through it with you you have to almost get to the point where you shut down some of what's mm. going on in the outside world because mm. it just becomes so painful. You become incredibly desensitised in that sense. Yeah, but then you have to, you can't shut yourself off from all emotions and particularly mm. when you do a role like mine or, you know, like Rob's and you're working with other people, you also don't want to, to lose that sense of who you are mm. throughout that process. Mm. Um, the process of surrogacy is um it's quite unknown actually in terms yeah. of that process i would love to dive into that because um do, do you have any statistics around how many mothers and fathers go through the surrogacy process every year in the uk i'm not sure about uk based um surrogates because you obviously can can pursue surrogacy in the uk but internationally i think it's uh, in the thousands now in terms of right. people that go abroad to to work with a surrogate and then bring their babies back and there's lots of different territories now where it's legal so where there's a legal infrastructure mm. so lots of people could could go to India America is probably the most well known just because it's got a long history of surrogacy but there are lots of other countries that you mm. can that you can go to mm. so what was your process so so we've got to the We'd done a final cycle of IVF and it hadn't worked. And the physical toll had, I sort of got to that point where I thought, I'm not sure I can do this anymore, even mm. though that longing hadn't gone. But I knew that my body had reached the point that it couldn't do anymore. So we decided to discuss surrogacy and, and the industry that John's in, it's the media industry. There's lots of people that have pursued this. So we were put in touch with a friend of a friend that had gone through the surrogacy process and they've got four children as a result of surrogacy. Wow. So we went to see them. They explained the process to us. And actually it was like an absolute relief that I would almost be someone brilliantly at Santander described this outsourcing this to someone else so yes. there's no longer any pressure on my body that wasn't working and and um yeah so so working with somebody else that could really help us but also it's quite scary because you're entrusting somebody what one when you're doing this the absolute other side of the world but also you're entrusting your most precious cargo to someone that you might not know so what a brilliant way worked, of putting it we worked at with our friends that helped us all the way through and they they were brilliant because they said these are the medical professionals we worked with 
these are the lawyers we worked with. So you you start a process where you go and speak to the doctors about what's possible. And our doctor was in Los Angeles and he was amazing and said, you've been through so much. I'm going to make sure that you don't go through any more pain again. So I'm going to be ultra cautious, but I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And then we started to look at who our surrogate could be. And there's lots and lots of agencies in the, U in, sorry, in the US where you go and have a conversation and they work on your behalf to, to match you with a surrogate. And so we started to get, started to have conversations with the agencies. We started to get profiles through, but our friends that had helped us just kept talking about the surrogate of their last two children. There were two boys, two twins. And they just spoke about her with such love, such affection. Just She just sounded like the most perfect person ever. And I, I, I said to one of them, oh, do you think she would be our surrogate? And they phoned her and she just had her second little boy. And we had a video conference with her and had a conversation with her. And she actually agreed to be our surrogate. And she is just the most like? amazing person. Well, it was just because you feel so nervous because mm. you think like, will she like you? Will she, what will she be thinking about us? Will she, you know, what views will she have on us? And she was just the most open, brilliant person. She's got two children of her own. Her, she just so wants to help people have a family because she knows how important it is. And the way she describes it is, I'm just baking your cake in my oven. And it's just, it's, the most wonderful way of explaining it to everybody else, but also to her own children who were going through this process with her. That's so, exciting. and it's not just her, it's her entire family that you're getting to know. Cause you know, her husband has to be part of this, her children are part of it. So you feel like you've almost gained another family that are there with you supporting you. Mm. Um, in the call we had before we started recording this, um, you mentioned actually the process that you had to go through at work with Santander was, it was almost like setting out this entirely new framework for, um, uh, for, um, I suppose doing this, this, this process of two questions here, really, which is quite fascinating. Like one, how did your, how did you think your peer group at work would respond to this? And, and I suppose, secondly, how did it affect the balance of play with Santander? Like, how did the company handle it? So, I mean, got to the point by this stage of what would people think of us? And and my parents were very supportive. And you know, I remember my dad saying to me one day, you just, you can't care what anybody else thinks. You're doing the right thing. There's some stigma around surrogacy and there's certainly lots of misconceptions around what it involves and mm. exploitation and so that we knew there was some education that we'd need to do around how we'd got to this point but also how it worked and the fact that we were following a legal process no one was being exploited and actually our surrogate was doing it willingly in terms of Santander I was more nervous about trying to explain what this meant but also there was still some some people that thought I was pregnant. So there was some quite interesting conversations and said, you know, oh, you're eating for two now. And there was a man I kept seeing in the canteen and I knew I was going in a month's time. And I kept watching him look at me thinking, how is she not getting any bigger? And she's going off to have a baby. So we had to keep explaining <laughs> to people what that meant. Um, 
there are lots of questions actually from my peers on Exco about just really curious about how it worked, but there was just this underlying support. What were some of the questions? What we Sorry. Were doing. Just how it worked and, mm. and and quite scientific questions around, you know, well, you know, whose embryo is, you know, all this kind mm. of, so there was lots of quite detailed questions about that. But because we'd explained the journey that we'd been on as well, there was just real support for us. And my own team were just amazing at Fantastic. saying, we're so pleased for you, you know, because we explained about this had been something we'd longed for for a long time. But also it was something that no one had been through at Santander mm. before. So the closest process was adoption. But with that, if you do it in the UK, there's quite a lot of paperwork that you can mm. give to HR at the time. And also, you know, when you're going to be applying for a parental order, which is the court process you have to go through. So they were asking me quite a few questions around, can we have this and can we have that? And, you know, proof of pregnancy and all these things that normally and naturally you can just give and really I had a bunch of scam photos and a, a one page on what the process would be but I had nothing I could give them I had no court papers I could give them I had no application I could give them because with surrogacy you can't apply for a parental order until the baby's over six months sorry over six weeks and under six months so I mean luckily they understood they'd gone and, and researched um, how to handle this with places like the TUC and we had a really good relationship and I worked quite closely with the team in HR in terms of how surrogacy works so they were very open-minded and they were very very supportive and I'm incredibly lucky and John because of the industry he was in they were just brilliant the whole way through so mm. It worked out incredibly well, but I'm very fortunate that I work with an organisation mm. that is that forward thinking. Mm. You mentioned um, stigma attached to surrogacy. Uh, obviously, it's one of the biggest buzzwords in the mental health space, period. Um, what, what kind of stigma did you feel? I think so there had been so many comments I'd heard of people and even there was someone at work that had seen someone on the, the television that had had a baby and snapped back and they said, oh, she's bound to have used a surrogate. She's just too posh to push. <laughs> so there was this, there was, there was also almost a stigma that I took the easy way out. Mm. And of course, you're not public about what you've been through. And actually, even surrogacy is not an easy way out because it's a, two-year process and that's on average it's full of ups and downs because you don't know if it's going to work and there's so many unknowns and also you're doing things thousands of miles away so you're one step removed from all of that um what impact did it I, have, on, uh, have on have on your mental health um but i think the the journey to get to where we got to was incredibly tough for us. And there were some really low moments for both of us where you just sit and think, why us? And, and mm. you know, why is this happening to us? And every time we got a knockback, we'd have a few days where we were really low and then we'd sort of pick ourselves up and say, right, no, no, this is gonna happen for us. And, and we, we genuinely never lost faith that it would happen to us. But it, it, was, it was tough, it really was tough. And also because it's not something you just like sit down at work and start a conversation about either because it's mm. quite personal um 
so yeah, it did it did have an an impact. And I think we found ourselves becoming a little bit withdrawn because we just had so much to cope with at home. Um, and also at the same time, my father was incredibly ill. So we didn't want to burden my parents with what we were going through. And, and also you you don't want to get anybody else on the roller coaster of the highs and lows because then you think, oh, I'm going to disappoint them when it doesn't work. It's mm. a really good point, actually. Um, you became a new mother during the pandemic, which has its uh, its huge challenges um what what challenges did you face becoming a mother in the pandemic because it is a incredibly difficult but also uh, i suppose given the nature of self-isolation it's probably um you became a lot closer to uh to your baby and to your husband um by nature so yeah what were the challenges in one we've tried to look at it from the positive in that we had so much time together that we wouldn't have had because John was working from home and and that was brilliant but it was hard not to have your family around you not to have your friends around you I had some and, and now I've been through the initial period I did have some unrealistic expectations that maternity leave was all going to be like chatting and having cups of coffee and and the reality of it is, of it sorry is in, incredibly tough and and it's difficult and there's lots of sleep deprivation there's also lots and lots of highs but it did feel very weird to not be able to leave the house go out and see people not have your family and friends around you um, and also you know we had the at the beginning we had to get a six-week-old baby back on a plane from America um, which, which is a process in itself and also get a whole legal process and a passport and everything sorted incredibly quickly to be able to get um, our daughter back. And then when you come back, we had a couple of weeks of normality and then straight into lockdown. So in terms of the support that you could have, you felt that you needed, it wasn't quite there in the same way. And because we hadn't been through the process in the UK where you might have NCT classes and you might have people around you. There's none of that infrastructure with surrogacy because you you don't do that. So I thought it would be great for me to get out, meet other mothers. But of course, that just wasn't possible. Mm. Interesting. Have you spoken to any other, um, I'm sure you have actually, uh, mothers who have gone through the same process and um, what they're the different levels of challenges that they faced because from an outsider's perspective looking inwards and um, I hope I'm not stepping out of line here but I'm just interested in the kind of psychology of, of it obviously this is your baby being carried by another woman um, that to me I would imagine there's some sort of psychological hurdles that you need to prepare yourself um, to face given that your baby is being carried and will be delivered by another woman um is 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 there are there that, those type of themes in other in other mothers or did you feel that at well, all and fathers as well so and fathers people, yeah 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 because obviously surrogacy is used by lots of same-sex couples and, yes. and our friends that helped us were a same-sex couple so oh, there is this um it is quite interesting because you think oh my goodness like what's the labor going to be like and is it all going to be quite awkward because it's not me and it's mm. somebody else doing this and also 
you know, when the baby's born, are you going to love them in the same way because you might not have the same hormones racing through you as, as, a, as a mother would? But actually, our surrogate made it seamless and you felt like you were absolutely part of that process. You know, I was in the delivery room when she was born. We oh, had wow. 20 hours of labour together um, and my husband was there and it was just like you felt like you were part of just one big family. And the minute she was born, we knew, you know, none of that mattered, to be honest. The journey melts away. You just are so in love with your daughter. But also we knew we wanted to stay in the States for quite a chunk of time so we could spend time with our surrogate. You know, we there are various different examples and, and experiences that people go through and some some intended parents, which is what they're called, they have their baby, they want to sever their ties with their surrogate and they want to move on and they want to forget about it. We wanted to make sure that our surrogate is part of our lives forever. She's and, and part of our daughter's life forever. So we spent a lot of time after she was born. Our surrogate came every single day to see her and her husband. Um, her wow. children did. When we were in the hospital, we basically all stayed in like one big room so we could spend time with each other. So it, all the worries that we had and all of, I think more of the worries as well were around, goodness, is she going to be, is she going to be healthy? Is she mm. going to be okay? We were using a healthcare system that we didn't really understand because we'd not been through the US healthcare system. And there is a, there also is a terrifying, that terrifying prospect of, oh my God, if something goes wrong, will our insurance cover it? Because, mm. you know, you hear of these um, really terrifying experiences but it just it all worked we were so lucky w with who we were with and, and our wonderful surrogate but yeah there were quite a lot of there's a lot of nervousness going into it about you know will it all work will we feel fine you know and it did it did so I think it, it and I suppose away. I suppose that fuels the conversation around stigma as well it's it's almost a self fulfilling cycle really it's uh, it's the anxieties the worries the the what ifs the uncertainty which then actually props up this platform of stigma around it but if you don't talk about it and you don't normalize it then it will just carry on so Absolutely. i think the key the key is to to say you know whatever your journey and whatever you decide to do and we decided on surrogacy you you know it's right for you as a family and mm if anyone were to question us or criticize us, then we would try and explain that. And if they if they didn't agree with us, that's fine. They're entitled to their view, but it was mm. right for us. And we know we've done the right thing and we knew we did it in the right way. Mm. Um, funnily enough, the one you would have thought the biggest, but one of the biggest hurdles was the psychology of surrogacy. Actually, one of the biggest hurdles you faced was the legal framework, which oh just God, completely unsupportive of uh, your entire, um, the, the, the way this works. Um, yep. you are, it sounds like a, uh, self-proclaimed expert now on this legal frame, having dug into <laughs> so many hours. <laughs> so many, heart, so yeah. many hours. Yeah. So <laughs> what's happened there? So when you, you come back and you have gone through the whole legal process in, so for us, it was the United States. So we'd gone through, um, hours and hours of filling in documentation you'd gone to the court in um for us it was in los angeles so you have everything done you've got your passport your surrogate surrogate and her husband have said no you know you're the 
you're the baby's parents, I relinquish any rights, that's all sorted. Do you think, brilliant, get on the plane, I can relax, if only it was that easy. You come back to the state, you come back to the UK, and because our laws do not recognise international surrogacy, you then have to go through a similar process to which you would if you were adopting a child. So we had to be interviewed by a um, by a social worker for a whole afternoon. If we hadn't have been in a pandemic, they would have come and visited us to see whether or not our property was suitable for us to have a child. So you feel like you're slightly being judged. Um, and then you have to go in front of a high court. You have to go in front of a judge and you have to pull together every single part of paperwork that you can think of including postal receipts and and everything that you'd have to keep all of our documentation we then had to fill in another set of forms that then had to be fedexed out to our um, surrogate and her family they had to fill in all of those and we had to write personal statements as to how we'd got to this point and we then had to justify every single penny that we'd spent in the United States and whether or not the judge here deems that to be appropriate so why, do, why do they do this? Why is the process like that? Do you have any inclination on that? I, I can understand that they want to make sure that you are, you've done this for the right reason and you haven't exploited anybody because I no. imagine all these things are set up for the worst possible scenarios and I, and I can understand that, but they need to be looked at. Mm. I live um, with a lawyer, so yeah, I understand that as okay. well. <laughs> <laughs> but it's incredibly stressful and, you know, you... For us, so Honor was born in December, and we didn't. We had a year and so thirteen months of waiting for this process to come to fruition, and then we had to go to court. So we're sat there thinking, if this goes against us today, they're going to come and take our daughter away from us. Mm. Um, and God. we believe she's in the best place, but it's down to a judge that's never met us, just read a load of documents, and she's taking a decision against us. Outrageous. So we. Yeah, we were absolutely terrified of it. We really, really terrified. So, but, you know, it worked out in the end. The judge was amazing to us, was really pleased with how we presented everything. She had no questions for us, which was amazing. These things are in the diary for like an hour and a half. You think I'm going to get drip grilled for an hour and a half about everything. You have your, you know, your, your health background, everything they delve into. Um, but we were lucky. We had a really, really understanding judge. She she was an expert on surrogacy. She knew that we'd followed the right process and we'd done things in the right way. So we, we feel we're fortunate. But I don't think it's something that you should have to go through in that way. Mm. What an extraordinary process. Um, and what extraordinary human beings both you and your husband are. Um, what advice would you give? I, I, I mean, this is a, it's a, it's a it's a slightly unknown area of motherhood and fatherhood and, and pregnancy mm. as well. Like what, what advice would you give living it first, first hand, obviously? Everyone's different. And I think people, if you're going through this, depending on how you feel and how ready you are to share it, you know, make sure you've got the right support around you. If there's someone you can, get advice from or get support from I think that makes a massive difference we never ever gave up hope and never gave up hope of the different routes and mm. there are different agencies and organizations that you can go and speak to but I also think if there's someone that you know that's been through it 
reach out and have a conversation with them because most of them are more than happy to help and support because they've been there they've been where you've been and they want to make a difference and our friends that helped us they've got four children by surrogacy and they now make it a mission to help others to follow the same process as them so they've had I think it's about 10 babies that have been born because of their help and support and we we can never thank them enough for what they did for us that's extraordinary um thank you so much for sharing your story that's okay. Um, what an amazing story. Obviously, you've spoken a bit about your husband, John, in this process. And um, and there is obviously always another side of the coin of the story. And that is where when we had a call um, last week, I was fascinated as well by uh, Rob's story because... As a father, as a as a man, um, you experience um, maternal mental health in a slightly different way, um, but it can be equally as as harrowing um, because it's 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 lived as well. So, Rob, um, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's uh, it's something that I'm always quite interested to explore because it's always the other side, and it's often not spoken about in the way it should be so um i'm excited for this section um what's what's your story your wife has suffered um postnatal depression um post your daughter being born as i understand it so um what was what, what what's the story behind that yeah so um we were 27 uh, when we had lauren and we're really excited to um start a, a new new family we'd been married for a couple of years um and uh, we got the house ready um, and, and um, the, uh, the pregnancy and, and the birth itself were all relatively straightforward. And um, we came home with this gorgeous baby girl um, and um, we had support in those first couple of, uh, couple of weeks. I'd taken some time off work and both my mother and my wife's mother spent some time sharing some of the load with us in the first few days. And I would say after those first couple of weeks, I felt things were going okay. Um, it, it, it was um, tiring. It was hard work, but, but things were going okay. Um, and then um, I took three weeks off work um, uh, in total. Um, I, I think I mean, Santander's policies now are absolutely fantastic around these sorts of things. Things were developing at the time. Um, and as we'll get on to, my, my local line manager uh, was, a, was a lifesaver in how he treated me. But at the time, I was planning to go back um, after three weeks. And then I remember that I can remember it so vividly, it's 20 years ago, but um, I, was, I still wore a suit in those days. And I was... Um, had slightly uh, more hair. I had slightly more hair. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I, I was um, uh, saying goodbye to my wife. And we we're going to go, go to work first day back after three weeks um, on um, uh, annual leave, stroke paternity leave. And she barred the door. She barred the front door. She, she, I can see her there. She was holding Lauren now in, in her arms and pleading with me not to go to work. So it came to me out of the blue. Now the so there were no said, signs. There weren't signs I picked up upon. Right. Mm. Now, um, I, I, I wasn't, I'm not an expert now, and I certainly wasn't an expert then. Um, I probably missed some signs. Uh, we'd had the, uh, the health visitor checks where, uh, you know, Lauren was really healthy, so that was good. I think there'd been a discussion about my wife maybe having, quotes the baby blues, which I think is a 
quite unhelpful um, term, if I'm honest. Um, what are the baby anyway. blues? Sorry. Yeah, the, the the baby blue. Well, I, I think I think it's a term that's almost given to. Um, you might feel a little bit down. You might find it hard for a little bit of time, and then, but it'll be okay. You know, it will sort itself out. It's all. It's all. This is part of the natural journey. So perhaps in that sense, some of my wife's initial um, feelings were missed by me, and possibly even um, uh, suppressed a little because some of the initial medical support that we got perhaps missed some things too. Mm. The medical support later was brilliant, but but early on, maybe a couple of things were, were missed. So yeah, so it came came very much out of the blue, really, from from my perspective. So your your wife is stood up against the door with Lauren in her hands, begging not to leave. Like, what happened then? How, how did you deal deal with that situation? Well, this is where the um, uh, the wonderful support of my 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 line manager came into play, if I'm honest, because in that situation, there was no way I was going to work that day. So we mm. could talk about another plan. But what absolutely had to happen there and then was me to confirm to my wife that I wasn't going anywhere that day. And via a short phone call uh, to this wonderful chap who um, uh, probably hadn't dealt with anything quite like that before. But his first reaction to me set me up for success, frankly, for the entire period because I knew my own back was covered. Um, And that started from day one. Um, So it was agreed that I could have some longer um, paid leave. Um, I, I think maybe it was called compassionate leave or something, but, but it was paid leave. So the financial stuff was completely out of my line of sight. Didn't have to worry about that. Um, so that was the short term. Um, it became obvious through a proper uh, medical diagnosis that um, um, my wife was suffering from postnatal depression and it would take a, a little while for some of the um, medication to help support. So this wasn't mm. necessarily going to be a, a very quick process um so i had to make some decisions with 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 um, my, my wife's support but also as i say very much my line manager's support mm. about what was realistic we it was in the early days of the internet so so mm. we weren't working from home in the way that we have all managed to do so successfully over the last 12 months um so i i, I almost had to do half days so i, I had mm. my half my days uh, in the morning where um, my, my, my uh, Lauren, my, uh, still as a baby, would go to some sort of crash. Mm. Um, and that would allow me, frankly, to do some housework. It would allow me to do the shopping. Um, and then in the afternoon, Lauren would go to a proper childminder, who she, she did go to for a period of time, um, and who became a very good friend of ours. Um, and that allowed me to go into the office. Mm. But I was, I was working short hours, um, maybe 10 till 4, something like that. And there was also a very strong uh, um, recognition that um, I, I was trying to keep the wheel turning at work, but it wasn't mm. my prime focus, and mm. I was very much supported in that. Mm. As, as a man, I'm just interested in, in terms of, like, from, a, from a, a male perspective, as a man, as a, as a husband, a father, um, what, was your, what was your reaction to... Uh, which I assume you haven't had you experienced before depression or understood it. No, no. no so, no. so what was the thought process, um, and and how did you deal with that? So I think my thought process evolved. If if mm. I'm honest, my my, my first reaction um, was certainly to um, understand the significance of what I was being presented with, um, but 
Um, I think I think to start off with, I, I I probably felt that we could, it would be okay. And perhaps if I if I if I if I stayed at home for a couple more days, then actually things would would change, and we still go back to what was Plan A. I think it was only then through proper conversations and and, and a conversation that isn't just a, um, a, a, a you have the conversation then you walk away and you don't return to it again it's kind of almost like layers and layers of a conversation mm. where I actually started to understand how my wife was properly feeling um, and, and, and I think some of the things that stick out for me was that um, she didn't blame the baby at all. She didn't blame Lauren at all. She, all her blame was directed towards herself. Um, about what exactly? If you about don't mind. no, I don't mind at all. Um, so, so she, she, she felt that she, she had an overwhelming sense of um, responsibility, mm. but was also finding it really, really hard. She, she didn't, it, 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 she didn't know. She knew practically what to do but she wasn't feeling some of the things that society had set her up to expect to feel. Um, and I think that became quite a vicious circle because she, she was feeling um, this sense of guilt, this sense of failure herself. But one of the ways she explained to me that she um, helped to manage that was to stay in control, to put processes in place, to always be the one who was feeding the baby, or always be the one who was doing different things. Because even if she didn't feel it, she could tell herself she was doing it. Mm. The trouble with that is that that starts to, um, uh, Louise mentioned earlier about exhaustion, et cetera. Obviously, that kicks in. Um, there's no breaks. It's all, you're, you're the one who has to do everything. And at the same time as feeling that you're not getting hitting the right standard, your own personal resilience is, is being eroded. So it becomes quite a vicious circle and a circle that we we had to try and and, and break mm. um how did you break it um so i i think the a, a, med, a medical diagnosis is is fundamental importance no 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 father or no no partner um who is trying to support somebody in this situation is ever going to replace the medical staff mm. so so one of the things that absolutely essential is that and it's very difficult sometimes for for the lady to do this because she's feeling vulnerable and guilty and uh, not at her most assertive so i think one of the things that the the role of the partner is the role of the father or, or is, is to actually be that voice and to actually sit in the doctor's uh, surgery uh, with with the wife and, and and frankly not accept no for an answer sometimes um so the medication that followed the um uh, medical diagnosis certainly helped and helped to validate in my wife's own own head that what she was feeling wasn't self-imposed it was a mm. it was a chemical imbalance and, and and it was a medical thing that needed to be treated in the same way as a broken leg would need to be treated and you wouldn't blame yourself for having a, a broken leg so 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 that helped but i think the other thing is to try and br- there's several answers to that question, but but one of the other ones is to try and provide some break, some 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 allow allow the mother some time to breathe, um, and that can be in very short, sharp. Give her a chance to go for a walk. Give her a chance to have a shower. 
um, just something when she's not on duty. And then it can also be bigger breaks, which we did we did um, have uh, at various times when things mm. got particularly bad. Um, but but it's about breaking that cycle to stop mm. it, it going down and down. And I can imagine that's quite difficult because actually what you said earlier was your wife wanted to do everything so she could at least feel like she was doing it. Yeah. And then you're asking her to break it. And yeah. it's this urge, which is yeah. which is really difficult to resist. Uh, how long did this go on for? Um, so it, 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 it went on for years. Really? Um, wow. Yeah, at, at different stages. Right. Um, but I think everybody's experience will be different there. I think that's quite important. One of the first things that the doctor said to us was, was, was what once it had been diagnosed was not to think about the length of time because actually um, everyone is different. And actually what's important is the, the direction of travel and that, that, that improving um but, but yes it, it did go on for a period of time and obviously and um, for my 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 wife's um uh, mental well-being during that time um without having the, a, a support network beyond me um yes. that would be that would have been very difficult very difficult indeed mm. um yeah um i want to talk about the role santander now has in with postnatal depression because i know they have um they've got areas in which they can support yeah um new fathers yeah. and 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 mothers yeah. as well um what are they so i, th- I think there's, there's there's a couple of there's a couple of things in particular so there's the the, the mental well-being network which obviously is there for um for, for everybody whatever experiences that, that they have had i think um there's also the employee assistance program um, and I think that it's really worth underlining the value of, of this one for anybody who's, who's struggling with any aspect of, 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 of mental well-being. But in this particular case, I think what's really important is that um, my, my wife um, uh, was getting some medical support. Um, as a father, you have to also keep yourself strong. You have to be there uh, for the baby, but you also have to be there for the wife. And in order to do that, I think there's a number of ways in which you need to improve your own resilience. And and, and one of them is the use of something like the Employee Assistance Programme. They are there to support people who are also supporting other other kind of relatives or friends in their lives who are going through something traumatic. So just because it's not you yourself who might be having the direct um, challenge doesn't mean that you can't tap into those wonderful resources that Santander provides. Mm. Um, and these are medically qualified people who provide this support. And obviously it's, it's anonymous um, and um, it's done independent of your own uh, business area or anything mm. like that. It's, it's, it's effectively shortcutting to effectively so some private um, healthcare in this space that you don't have to pay for. Interesting. It's, it's, it's a wonderful service. I, I asked um, I, one sec, Louise, because I, I asked Drew um, Gibson th- this question last week. Um, sorry, not last week. Last episode we did, which was, um, what could Santander? What do you think Santander or big business? Let's let's f- f- focus in on Santander. Could do better in this whole debate. So I, I think the um, obviously my experience was some time ago, and, and, and um, 
uh, at that time, it was very, uh, I was very dependent on how my local management team responded to my particular challenge. And as I said, they were absolutely brilliant. I, I think Santander has got a lot better um, uh, as we have as a, as a society are being more prepared to talk about these sorts of things. And I think this is this evidence, as was the previous uh, podcast, of people being quite open about challenges that they've been through. And, and, and I think before we think about Santander, I think that's that's a really important thing that the thi- we were caught by surprise. We'd prepared for the birth. We prepared for the new house. Uh, we'd, we were excited about having the baby. At no point during that nine months pregnancy had anybody anywhere had a conversation with us about how hard it was going to be and that there might be some additional challenges and nobody wants to spoil it nobody wants to take the shine off the fact that there's you're about to have a baby and I do understand that it is a challenge but there's a tremendous amount of pressure that is put on a a new a new mother and then when you have some of these physical uh, and um, chemical challenges occurring at the same time if you're unprepared you you, you're actually having to deal with them at the time where perhaps you're at your most vulnerable so i think us all talking about them is a really a really important uh, step in in the right direction i think santander does now have some very supportive policies uh, in place to support people who are having um, uh, challenges a- a- across the board. Um, but I think there's also a, an individual responsibility to actually to speak up um, and, and, and not to try and be, uh, uh, as a father, a, a too macho, um, to either deny the feelings or either to try and believe you can do it all on your own because you absolutely can't. It's a team um, uh, both parents are a team, and if one of them is is slightly uh, unable to provide the full support that's required to the baby, the, the father can't be expected to do the hundred percent without also having their own back covered. Mm. So, so I, I, I think so. I think you have to be prepared to actually n- not worry about Louise said earlier about how people might see you not worry about the conversation that you're going to have with your line manager or um, about you might need some more time off or there might need to be some more flexibility in your working patterns um, you have to be brave enough to start that conversation and I think people will be quite pleasantly surprised at the mm. positive response they get from from the organization mm. what about you Louise so I was going to say, so obviously I work quite closely with the mental health network, but I sponsor the um, parents and carers network as well. And I just wanted to make people aware of all of the resources that sit within that network as well, Definitely. because there's so many amazing people on there that we look at the whole range of experiences that people go through in terms of having a family, being part of a family or wanting to to have a family and they've just started um, a new kind of community site called becoming a parent which is not just for women it's for men too but it also is available it's on a Mio platform so it enables um, parents to keep in touch with Santander throughout their maternity leave to if they're having experiences or having difficulties or challenges they can reach back into Santander 
and and they will wrap their arms around them and and support them and there's lots of mentors and lots and lots of people that are prepared to share their experiences and also their their advice and their tips so that's something new that mm. we've brought in and, and, and how to bring in actually and how can people find that so that's on our via our internet right okay that you'll be able to access that but it's on our meo platform as well which i think you can access even if you're not in work mm. that's fascinating that's amazing um and um what, what do you think santander could do better I think they should just keep doing what they're doing. I mean, they're very, very open-minded as an organisation. They really want to have open conversations. You know, Nathan, who's our CEO, really has brought in a culture of inclusion and belonging where people can bring their whole selves to work. And that mm. that's not just who they are in terms of their jobs. That's their family and their home life too. Because if you don't understand, and, you know, not everyone's comfortable with... Um, sharing everything but if they can share if there is an issue then the organization can help them and there's lots and lots of resources to do that and and I think you know Rob and my experience should show that no matter where you are in the organization you can have these conversations and I think when you do I've had so many people come and talk to me because I've I sort of had to be open about my story you couldn't hide it um, people have come to you and shared their own experiences and you do there's a sort of hidden hidden community of people that are going through shared things and actually when you do share your own experiences and whether that's just in your team you'll often find there's someone else that's gone through something yeah, incredibly similar it's amazing i want to thank you both so much um it's it's just amazing that two um very senior members of the Santander team can come on to this podcast and talk so openly about the issues and challenges they faced, which will uh, percolate down into um, um, people below you um, in terms of team structure and make them feel like it's okay to explore, to talk, to feel the way they are feeling and know that Santander as a business, as an employer, is going to look after them and is going to be there for them. And that is just amazing. Um, so thank you both of you for the extraordinary stories. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful that we could cover both sides of the, of, of, of the, not the argument, but the topic and the sector, because it, it, it really isn't spoken about that much. And, um, and I'm just really pleased that Santander can explore maternal mental health awareness week the way we've done. So thank you both for coming on. Thank, thank you. you very much.